So this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you come with me to uh, John chapter 6, um, we're going to finish off uh, John chapter 6 this morning, verses uh, 60 through 71. Uh, I published a set of notes um, that are available online. Uh, the notes kind of fill in the gaps, in a sense, of verse-by-verse uh, uh, verse teaching. And so what we're going to do this morning is, is read these last 11 verses and then we're going to do a 3-2-1 format. So we're going to talk about three things. Then we're going to talk about two things. And then we're going to end up with what? No tricks. One thing. So, uh, and, and I think your notes will complement uh, the teaching that we'll do this morning. So let's pray together, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our moms that are with us. Lord, we thank you and honor them this morning. Uh, we pray, Lord, that... Uh, Lord, that they would be encouraged in the Lord, and Lord, those that uh, that motherhood has been a it's been a tough go for them. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would comfort their hearts this morning, and and Lord, that they would sense, uh, Lord, your presence uh, in the midst of uh, their their perhaps brokenness and their pain. So, Lord, just uh, encourage our moms this morning. Let them know that we love them as we turn to your Word this morning, Lord. Uh, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in John chapter 6. Let's start out in verse 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And so the disciples are responding to Jesus using uh, a figure of speech, speech uh, speaking metaphorically about his coming death and his burial and his resurrection, and he used language that was so offensive, but we're going to find out this, that the people camped out on the offense rather than dealing with the real message that, was, that Jesus was trying to get across. Jesus was trying to tell them that, look, you can experience life. You can experience eternal life. You're, you're, uh, the Israelites died in the wilderness. They ate manna, but Jesus is the bread from heaven. And so all through chapter 6, we find this repetitive nature of Jesus communicating to people and, and the people rejecting that message, verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, you might want to take note of that word, we'll get back to it, they were grumbling about this, and he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then, verse 62, then what if, you see, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So Jesus is using this language that the Son of Man has come down from heaven. He uses that over and over again in chapter 6. And so he flips it with them and he says, well, what if you see me going back up? What's that going to do to you? And we know that he's pointing to the ascension uh, of, after his uh, resurrection. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so Jesus is reinforcing that same message that he has come to bring transformation, spiritual transformation. And he says the same thing to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says the same thing to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He's, and he says the same thing again in John chapter 6 verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And we're going to look at verse 70 and 71, and we know that that person is Judas, verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father, because it's the Spirit that woos the heart of a person. It's the Holy Spirit that draws a person to that point where they exercise free will and they exercise faith in receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. And verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Well, the construction of this sentence, uh, to, to simply put it, the construction of the sentence in the Greek has an expectation a part of it that is kind of eludes us in English. And the expectation of the question is not a negative answer. The expectation for the reply is a positive example, which tells you the heart of God, that he desires no one to perish. He desires everyone to come to a saving knowledge. So he poses the question in 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And then we see Simon Peter come on the scene. Uh, Simon has no filters. He does, he, what, you, what he says is what's in his heart. You may know people like that. They're, they're so valuable, they have a way of cutting through the muck. And Peter cuts through and demonstrates what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. We see that in 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he's using in the verb tense here, he's using the present tense. He says, we have believed. We have believed, Jesus. Well, like right now, and have come to know you that you are, and he uses language that both reflects the Old Testament, but also reflects, in your notes, you'll see the text references, reflects the, the fulfillment of Jesus as Messiah. So he confesses both Old Testament language and New Testament confirmation. He confesses that Jesus in, is indeed the Son of God. He is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the Savior of the world. And then we come to these two verses at the end, verse 70, verse 71. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil, diabolos in the Greek, and Satan is in the Hebrew translation of diabolos. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And so we take a step back and look at this text and say, how can we apply this in our life? How can we take this narrative and, and say, make it real to us. Well, the first thing we could call attention to is the three, got it right, is that there's three types of followers that we see in the text. There's three types of followers. There's followers that they're with Jesus for a while, and, and the, these, these disciples were with Jesus, and they saw the miracles, and they saw Jesus feed the 5,000, the total number being probably about 10,000. 
and they saw the miracles and they saw the power and they were just caught up in, in the throng of people that, were, that their hearts were just drawn to Jesus because of two expectations. They had an expectation that Jesus was going to be their economic deliverer. They said, well, give us bread. If you are the bread from heaven, we want that. Bring it on. We, 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 we want, you know, you know, it's kind of like in some ways uh, during COVID, you know, there's all this money poured out and, and, and some of it necessarily so to take care of people's needs. Well, they wanted that to continue. They, they didn't want to have to work. They just, yeah, just give us the bread. Just give us and satisfy us. So the first expectation they had was for economic stability or and or economic prosperity. The second expectation they had was that Jesus would deliver them from what? What do they want to be delivered from? The Roman occupation. They wanted Jerusalem back. They wanted, they wanted the temple precincts back. And as, as these uh, group of disciples, followers of Jesus, were going along, as long as Jesus met their expectations, they were what? They were good. They were going to follow him. Except something happened. Jesus said, I'm not your economic deliverer. I'm not your political deliverer. I am going to go to my death and give up my life so that you could have life. The people in the wilderness died even after they ate manna. But if you eat this bread and drink this blood using, using figurative language, if you do that, if you have faith and belief in me, you will not die. You will experience eternal life. Well, when they heard that, they hit the brakes. They said in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard that, they said, oh my, this is a hard saying and we ain't going there. You know, that happens in church life, doesn't it? You know, we see it all the time. You know, people, people come in for a checkout, checking us out, you know, seeing who's not. No, they don't do that. But they come in, and, and uh, everything's cool for a while. Oh, yeah, we just, we, lo- we just love this community stuff. Yeah, we love these small groups. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're cool. We like all the love. Oh, man, I like that pastor. He's Irish, but he's okay. And he talked about the love of God. And, oh, this, that guy up there, that, you know, that handsome one here, you know, the, some people think he's 18, but he's really not. Just good-looking and young-looking. Yeah, we like that music. Then you get to the, somewhere along the way, get to talking about John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father, except through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whoo, baby! <laughs> Step on those brakes! <laughs> what is this? See you later, guys. As long as Jesus met their expectations, he was good. But the trouble with Jesus is that he wants to change your heart. He wants to change your life. 
trouble with the Holy Spirit is that he has an agenda. And that agenda is to make you and transform you into Christ-likeness. So the first group of disciples, they were cool as long as Jesus met their expectations. And when he stopped doing that, they were out of there. The second group, I could say, typify as Judas. It's a type, if we could use that language. And Judas had everything going for him, didn't he? He hung out with Jesus, ate with Jesus. They camped out together. They, get this, Judas was equipped to do signs and wonders. Did you know that? Cast out demons, heal the sick. Except that, except that he had a hard heart and wouldn't step into faith. But with Judas, here's the thing about him. He decided to stick around to the end and just cause disruption and confusion. There's people like that in church life too. Just hang out. You know, they have no business, they have no desire to participate. No desire to, to pursue Christ. But man, can they cause a problem? And then the third group is those folks like Peter that have experienced transformation that have eaten that bread and drank that blood, figurative language about appropriating by faith the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And when you appropriate by faith who Jesus is, he changes your heart and he changes your life. Those are the three. What, about the, what are the two that I'm referring to from this text? There's two things in this text that will trip you up in life and in spirituality. There's two things in this text that are common to those disciples that only follow Jesus if he meets their expectation there's two things that are in common with those that have a hard heart and have, have, will never respond to faith in Christ. There's two things that are, operate in the spiritual realm, but I'll tell you this, they operate in the natural realm too. If you have a disposition of heart towards these one or two things, I tell you, you're not going to flourish as a human being. You're not going to make the most out of your life. Your relationships are going to be dysfunctional. Uh, your relationships are going to be crippled. And you're going to live life less than what you could live as a normal human being. And so these two things apply both in the natural and they, intend, and, they, and they apply in the spiritual. So what are those two things that we could see in the text? Well, the first one is, come with me to verse 61. It's the second time Jesus has said that. 
What are the things that are going to trip you up relationally and spiritually? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were what? Yes, that's one way to say it. In the, in the ESV, it's, it's grumbling. Grumbling or murmuring. How many grumblers are here? Oh, we got two honest people. We got three. Let me get in there. I got four, five. If you're a grumbler, if, if you're a grumbler, you're going to be like, uh, how, can, how can I come up with something that I would understand? Do you know the Peanuts cartoon? Do you know Pigpen? Pigpen walks around. If you don't know this, you can Google it, okay? Pigpen walks around, and he has what hanging over him? A cloud. Everywhere Pigpen goes, the cloud goes. That's what a grumbler looks like. A grumbler is always has this, this inner discontent, and they're always sharing it with people. There's no satisfying them. I've been a grumbler from time to time. I can be a grumbler. The Bible defines it for us, and it's interesting how the Bible defines a grumbler, or, or in the King James, a murmurer. Two verses of Scripture. They're not in your notes. Numbers 11.4 and Psalm 106.14. Both these texts, Numbers 11.4 and Psalm 106.14, point to the same situation that Jesus is referring to in John chapter 6. They point to the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and are associated with manna. Same as in John chapter 6, grumbling and murmuring. And these two texts, Numbers 11.4 and Psalm 106.14, give us the definition of what a grumbler or a murmurer is. It says this, they had a strong or a wanton craving. In other words, they were discontent. What did they have a strong craving for? Meat. Yes, meat. Get this. God, for 40 years, now see if you'd want to sign up for this. God, for 40 years, says, you know, you don't have to go to Market Basket to buy food. You don't have to go to Market Basket. You don't have to go to Shop and Rob. You know, you don't have to go there and pay twice the price what you pay at Market Basket. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go to Star Market. You don't have to go to Costco. I am going to send you what you need to eat. And so the people started getting all their food. Matter of fact, God cut a deal with them. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to go out and gather it at, in the morning, like do. You're going to go gather your food. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make it last. You can gather some on, on, you know, on day six that will last you into the Sabbath, day seven. So you can have a day off so you don't have to gather it. And the people, the people developed a discontent for God providing for all their needs. Now, would you sign up for that? Without grumbling, without murmuring? I would say, I wouldn't. I'd be like, probably like the children of Israel. Because a discontent, 
a heart that's discontented at its root, at its root is a perceived right or a perceived entitlement that has gone unmet. And so a grumbler has an expectation, has a, a spirit of entitlement that when it's not met, they just have a little tissy fit and meltdown and dish everything. The problem with that theologically is what? When you no, lo- when you no longer can receive what God's provided for you, you're no longer content with where God has brought you. You're no longer thankful. You no longer have a spirit of gratitude in your heart. Theologically, what are you doing? Theologically, which impacts your spiritual life, is this, is that you're saying, I don't believe in the sovereignty of God. I don't believe in God's providence. I don't believe that God is good because he hasn't given me what I demand and what I want. And so when we grumble, what we say to God is this, God, you're not fair to me. You're not fair to me because you haven't given me what I think I need. And when you do that, when you have a spirit of grumbling, you cannot be the best person this side of heaven. You cannot offer people gratitude for what they give to you because there's a spirit of entitlement. And when you're a grumbler, you reject the sovereignty and the goodness and the provision of God in your life. The second thing that we see in the text that affects us in the, in the natural, which impacts and trips us up in the spiritual, is found in Judas's life. Take a look at the text with me. Is that Judas says this, Jesus answered him, did you not did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him, Diabolos, adversary, which has to do with, give you a text, Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. The thing that tripped Judas up was selfish ambition and being conceited are having a narcissistic personality. See, Judas had everything going for him, hanging out with Jesus. Matter of fact, they, they gave him the money back. And yet, within his heart of hearts, he wasn't satisfied, and he was self-centered. Do you know that if you have that operating in your life, you will push away the perfect person for you to marry. If you have a narcissistic personality, you will push away people that would want to come and love on you and care for you. You will be like the person, that little boy, Linus, or Pigpen, with the cloud over them, where people come into your relational circle and they say, oh, this person, 
Mm-mm. They're a what? They're a grumbler. Oh, mm-mm. don't want to come into that person. This person is self-centered. And if you operate in, in being a grumbler or being self-centered, you're going to have a very, very difficult life. You're going to find yourself moving in one relationship and out of relationship. In relationship, out relationship. Because why? Because you have decided, like, like the disciples, to hide your heart to the point where you can't give it to someone else. Three, two, one. What's the remedy? It's to be like Peter. It's to be that unguarded heart that says to the Lord, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. It's the, it's the Peter that said, I'll eat, I'll drink, I'll step into who I am in Christ. Because it's that type of heart that if you are a grumbler, if you are self-centered, what God is going to do in your life, and he did in Peter's life, you remember how Peter denied the Lord? And what did Jesus do for Peter? He restored him. He changed his heart. You read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and, and you see such a disconnect. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, is this the same guy? Yeah, it is. But Peter experienced the transformation that came through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus changed him. The one thing that we need in our life is a love for Christ, to desire his transformation in our life, to follow him with all of our heart and with all of our life. And when, when, the, when the expectations that we might have in our life don't match up to what God wants to do. We set aside our expectations and we pursue Christ because we know that he loves us and he cares for us and God is good and God wants to work in our life so that we could flourish not only as a human being but that we could experience the abundance of Christ in our life both here and in the next life. But it comes down to this one thing. Will you pick up your cross and follow him? That one thing. And that's where people go, no. But look at the exchange. It's a life that we're going to die. It's a life that we might live 70 years, 80 years. We might live 90 years. I think the longest person alive right now, I heard on the radio, they, one lady passed on and another one took her place. But it's like, what, 106, 107? This life is going to lead somewhere. And Jesus says, I'll make a deal with you. If you pick up your cross and follow me, if you love me with all your heart, if you exercise faith, I'm going to give you a gift. And that gift is eternal life. It makes sense to me. 
It's like a no-brainer. But nope. Diedrich Bonhoeffer has a great way of putting it in the cost of discipleship. As a young man, I, 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 I was a believer at the time, and I, someone recommended this book to me, Cost of Discipleship by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And, and I was new. I mean, I, I had only been a Christian for a short time. And I read this book, and I said, whoa, he's calling me to follow him. I'm not doing that. I'm doing what I want to do. What are the implications for that, Conway? Death. I don't want death. I want life. I want to experience all that Christ has for me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. We exchange our life for his life. And when we make that exchange, when we make that exchange, we have eternal life that just, it doesn't start over here in the next life, it starts today of the Holy Spirit working in our life, maturing us, where we're, where we're predisposed to Irish grumbling. God brings a new spirit into our heart. When we have a bent towards selfishness, He creates in us a new heart that considers the needs of others above ours. He does a supernatural work in our life that results in the new birth. And now we can live as the very best person, not just in the next life, but we can begin living the very best life now. And that has implications your whole life has implications of who you'll marry, who you'll be in relationship with, who your friends will be. Because who wants to have a grumbler <laughs> as a friend? Who, who wants a narcissist as a spouse? Who wants that? And in the midst of of your broken and imperfect life, Christ will come and transform you. And he'll work from that moment on to the time he takes you home and making you the best person. Philippians 1.6. He'll make you the best person that you could possibly be this side of heaven through his sanctifying, life-changing, heart changing work of salvation in your life and in your heart. Three, three groups of followers. Two things that'll trip you up and one thing that provides the answer, which is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've not experienced that in your life, it's as simple as opening your heart, even right now, if you're listening at home. Opening your heart and saying, Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart and forgive me my sins. And I, I accept you by faith and I give you my life. 
I'll follow after you. That simple prayer changes a life. I remember when I prayed a prayer like that. It was October 2nd, 1976 was the second time I prayed it. It's the time that worked. And I was outside an air police barracks in Langley, Virginia. And my room dog, Richard Rita, said, do you want to accept Christ? And I said, yes, I do. Flipped him out. You're kidding. No, I'm not. I really... He said, well, pray a prayer and ask God into your heart. You go, well, I know two prayers, the Our Father and Hail Mary. Which one? He said, no, just pray something like, you know, Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. And I did. That morning, I was at a church. That church was nothing like this church. It was a crazy church. It was a wild church. But you know what? God changed my heart. And all that week, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, here's what was said. What happened to Conway? I was an MP. Conway, let's go, let's go, like, Swill some down. No, I, I'm, I'm going to go to Bible study. What? You're kidding me. And then expletives and all that. I said, no, no, I'm good. Let's go smoke some. No, I'm good. What happened? Jesus happened. Jesus changed my life in a moment and changed the course of my entire life. He'll do the same for you today. Are you willing to step in to who you are in Christ? It starts like this. Lord Jesus, I give you my life.